Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello again, everybody, and welcome into the Sports Day DFW Insiders Podcast. I'm Evan Grant, and I know that's got to be a little bit more pleasing to the ear this week since I'm doing the intros. Um, reason for that, Kevin Sherrington is on vacation. I don't know how this happened. I've been traveling all over North Carolina writing stories. David's been cross-country, right, David? David Moore, say hello. Hello, Evan. I I, th- I think the greatest gift we could give our listeners is a Kevinless podcast. <laughs> well, it's it, it it we're we're all about making the world a little bit better place, right? Our consumer feedback that came up constantly. Too much Kevin. I know you agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to say that Kevin is on the ground in Slovenia right now, breaking. <laughs> uh, news on, on Luka Doncic's deal, but uh, no, he's not doing that either. I think he's water skiing in Arkansas. Well, Evan, since you brought that up, I, th- this is a good time to, I I would also like to announce that I signed a Supermax agreement with the Dallas Morning News today. So I guess there's, there's something in the air. There's something going around. All right. Well, that brings us to Supermax talk. And Now, and now you don't need a verbal, you don't need a verbal or written agreement to have a have a contract, right? No, you can just announce it. It, it can be a one-way conversation. Absolutely. Okay. I've, try, I've, I've tried just wanted that to clarify before. that. <laughs> it, it's kind of like the kind of like the Seinfeld episode where George <laughs> just decides he's going to keep coming to work. That's I've right. just decided I've got a contract. <laughs> Problem comes. You know, I had a Seinfeld moment on my North Carolina trip, but I will. We'll get back to that in a minute. Okay. Well. Um. But in the meantime, we had breaking news over the past twenty-four hours before we recorded the podcast. We had Luka Doncic signing the. Five-year, $207 million Supermax uh, contract with the Mavs. We had film yesterday of, of Mark Cuban and Dirk Nowitzki walking on a street in Slovenia looking like they were out for a fight with somebody. It was kind of like a scene from Anchorman. Um, <laughs> but, David, what uh, this kind of puts all of the Mavericks offseason into perspective now, now that Luke is back from the Olympics and the contract is in hand. What do you make of everything of, of, of where they've gone free agency wise and what they've done to kind of supplement Luca and what this means long term? Well, Luca today held a press conference uh, earlier today on Tuesday to, to discuss this. And uh, he was talking about how happy he was in Dallas and how much he liked the people, which I would anticipate those sort of sentiments after receiving a two hundred eight million dollar uh, check. I, I think you would be uh, pretty happy with your surroundings in those moments. But uh, flashback to that, because we talked about this a little bit with that contract. Um, we're still in the honeymoon period with Luka Doncic of 
what a wonderful player. Is he the best player in the league right now? Is there any other individual player you would rather have? And the spectacular individual performances are enough. Uh, That is what sustains you. That is what excites you right now. But now with the Supermax, now that he's been in the league a few years, not only Luka Doncic, but others are going to expect, okay, if you're the best player in the league, where is this team going to go? Uh, This team needs to get past the first round of the playoffs if you're a transcendental player. Uh, Let's see it. And this is a very awkward stage, I think, for every superstar in the NBA because you get so much acclaim and so so many expectations. But then there comes a period where you're not ready and the team's not ready to win a title because there are so many better teams in front of you. How do you handle that? How does that frustration mount? And I, I still go back. Everyone remembers when you think back on, on the greatest sports legends of all time in any sport, um, you're going back and you're thinking of the totality of their career and what defined their careers. Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest player ever. Well, he didn't win a title for his first seven years in the league. That frustration and the friction internally with him and his teammates and the expectations got to a pretty, pretty excessive level at some points. Now they were able to stay together and weather through, and now you remember them for what they became. So yeah, David, I, I, I feel like we, we kind of, it, it feels like the sports world has changed over the last 30 years also, right? That, that there is not, that the honeymoon period is shorter. Sure. Um, I don't think that when when Michael Jordan came into the league is the he wasn't the overall number one pick anyway um, that he was expected immediately to carry that team to a, a, an NBA title and it no. took some time for him to become a great player and then it took some time for the uh, for the Bulls to win that championship and get over the hurdle and I think that there is we live in a in, in a sports world right now where it is like okay you're in the league you've had a great year and now win a championship. Yeah, and and it and it burns white hotter now because there's so many more, there's so much more attention, uh, and so that increases expectations. And and again, there's an assumption if you're the best at what you do, then your team should be the best at what it does. Why aren't you winning? Now the Mavericks aren't to that stage yet, but I guarantee you, with the new coaching staff, with keeping this nucleus together, if they don't get past the first round again next year. Suddenly it piles on to the 10, 11 previous years they didn't do it. And now you lump all of that together and you say, well, wait a minute. Why isn't this franchise performing? Now, now Luca's always going to be immune from that to some extent, but he's going to, and look, by all accounts, I mean, he's, he is ultra competitive um, and he's a team guy. And, and I think we saw that in the Olympics, uh, what, what being part of a team means to him. Um, that seems very genuine, but, but he knows on some level, his legacy is going to be determined, uh, really basketball more than any of the other team sports. Uh, the lead player, uh, is the face of what a team does. I I understand that happens in all of the sports, but, but because of just the lack of numbers of who's on the court at any one time, and because you always see their face and they're more visible, their Q ratings are higher. Uh, everything that goes into basketball, the dynamics are just different than the other three team sports. And 
um, you not only become the face of the franchise, you become the face of success or failure. Uh, and, and that is what happens. And it's just, it's exponential when you're a player that good. And, uh, Luca is still at the point of all the accolades and you, and you're still excited about the future if you're a fan. And that is what you're fixated on. Two years from now, if this team hasn't gained any ground in the Western Conference, you're not going to have that same feeling. And Luca's going to be getting different feedback, and he's going to feel different about his time here. And he's going to start to say, it'll just be a rationalization. Well, it can't be me. I mean, is this team not putting the right team players around me? And, and so monitoring this relationship, while it's at, certainly at a high point right now, uh, you can't ever take anything for granted. And, and you can see it, especially in the NBA throughout. That's a great point, and it I, it's, it also creates a great transition. Since we um, we're talking about the face of the franchise, let's uh, let's let's walk right into Dak Prescott as he is uh, the face of the Dallas Cowboys, and he's become such a face of the franchise that now he's got connections to both the Rangers and the Cowboys. It appears um, bringing sports organizations his, together, yeah, <laughs> bringing it all together in Arlington. Um, at least on the medical side. So what's the latest on his shoulder? Yeah, he uh, they have one practice this week before their uh, preseason game in Arizona. Uh, he wasn't scheduled to play that game anyway, so it's going to be interesting to see if he throws here this week on any level. If he does not, you know, right now today is 14 days since he pulled himself out of practice saying his shoulder didn't feel right, and it was a latissimus strain. Yeah, which is, and I've been told it's been a, a a grade one or a mild strain, which is a strain is a tear in the muscle, and that's the, his throwing arm. So, you know, I've been told from the start you're really looking at that as a two week uh, injury to heal, and it could take a little longer. It could be two to three weeks if it's a mild strain. It depends on that, exactly where it is in the muscle, uh, and I can't tell you that, but. Um, you know, it was interesting, it came out over the weekend while uh, we were in Canton uh, for the Hall of Fame, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a bit, uh, was speaking to Jerry Jones. And he just, as he is wont to do, he's just dropped. He said, well, uh, you know, we gathered information from the Rangers while we were considering what to do with Dak. And it's like, well, no, didn't know that. So, but really, what better... Uh, you're ga- you're gathering all the information you can. This is a quarterback who has an injury to his throwing shoulder. Uh, what better than to gather information from uh, a baseball team who deals with this with their pit- their pitchers on really a daily or a weekly basis? So, in in doing their due diligence, they contacted the Rangers, um, and and this is Jerry's interpretation. And Jerry has been known to mangle medical information or the process from time to time. But he was saying basically, they, you know, their advice was, look, don't don't go incremental throwing to get back to where you were. Um, the best thing is just give it complete rest, let it heal, and then start working your way back to where you were. There's no need to say okay, let's ramp up. Let's have you throw X number today. Let's have you do this today. We just say, work on your conditioning, do the other stuff, shut it down. And when when it's healed, then go and work back up to where you need to be because otherwise this is something you're going to have to manage constantly. And uh, I think it just reinforced where the medical staff here was. But, but it does help explain 
why, you know, Mike McCarthy in the initial days of this entry was going, oh, he's just going to be out a, a, a few days, a couple of days. Give me, a you know, a few's a couple, isn't it? What's the difference? Uh, well, like I said, today is Tuesday is two weeks since it happened, which is always the more likely scenario. But, you know, he met with the, the Cowboys medical staff last week. And coming out of that meeting, he took a completely different public stance of, well, we're not going to do it yet. Let's just take this out a little bit longer. It's not something we want to linger. And so I think that information is why you saw an alter. In my mind, there was never an alteration in the timeline. It was an alteration of what they were saying publicly about what the timeline was. Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest thing there is, you know, with with a muscle strain with a pitcher, and we're not we won't even get into the elbow ligament, but with a muscle strain with a pitcher anywhere in that shoulder area, you, you're going to shut them down, and then you're going to slowly ramp them back up once it's healed. I, I think the difference here is, you know, how many throws are they going to ask Dak to make in in preseason games or practices once he is fully healed? I think with with a pitcher, you know, you're looking at probably two weeks of, of full-time rest, and then you're looking at another two- or three-week ramp-up throwing program. I don't think you're going to have to do that w- w- with Dak, but I think there's people can't look at it as, hey, it's just a two-week issue. It's going to be two weeks of rest and then build back up. So it, it would not surprise me if he does not appear um, – you know, I know usually the starters don't play in that in that last exhibition, but it wouldn't surprise me if he does not appear until that last exhibition to get a few plays in. No, and I think that's a great point. Initially, they wanted to play him in the third preseason game against Houston, which will be a week from this coming Saturday at AT&T Stadium. But because of this, especially if he doesn't throw this week, I would say just move move that back, make it, you know, he wasn't going to play an entire game anyway. You're just looking at, at a couple of series to get him out there, maybe a quarter, quarter and a half, maybe. So uh, you have latitude there. Plus they built in more room from the end of the preseason to the start of the regular season to play with there. So uh, that's my belief on what's going to happen. I think there's a good chance now that rather than that third preseason game, they just say, well, let's just move it back to the fourth. We still have time. This will work. Uh, we'll get him his time on the field then just so he feels better. And, and remember, he's coming off a major injury to his ankle too, so he wants to play a little bit before the season starts. So should we talk any about the uh, – I think the less said about the Hall of Fame game, the better. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's move right on to the speeches. Uh, what did you take away? I, I think everybody was really interested in what Drew Pearson would have to say, obviously – Jimmy Johnson was was a a big big uh, speech for people in Dallas, but I think you know it, it mattered. This this was such a big deal to Drew Pearson. I'm just curious, like what your takeaways were. Yeah, it was, uh, and you know he he didn't waste a lot of time. He was he was 40 seconds in uh, when he started acknowledging it's over, the wait is over, and. I, I think Drew was caught in a very interesting spot because he had such a brilliant co- career in one of the most iconic moments in NFL history with the Hail Mary. Yet, for really the last 15 years to 20 years, he's been defined for what he hasn't been able to do, which was being enshrined in the Hall of Fame. So this brilliant career had actually become a negative, and he was defined by the guy who wasn't in and why wasn't he in, and that really became his identity. Now, in some ways, that kept his career alive a, a little bit longer in the Hail Mary because you point back to what he did to to say to try to explain this puzzling slight, 
Um, so he, he played around with that. He had fun with it. Uh, but you could tell how much it meant because also, uh, and, and he kept pounding the words and his cadence was very much like a, a, a preacher on a, on a Sunday morning extolling his congregation, uh, to get invested emotionally. He kept pounding the phrase pro football hall of fame. And he said that nine times in the first three minutes and 25 seconds of his speech. It was almost like someone who had waited for so long, he had to keep saying it to, to, to reinforce to himself, to hear it, that it was actually happening. That's the way it came across. And it was a very, it was a very joyous uh, speech. Uh, and as it went along, it was very much true. And it was also interesting, you know, they shortened the speeches this year, uh, they said, really, six minutes, we'll give you eight at the most, and then we'll start playing you off stage. His actually went a little bit, his went about 11 and a half, and he was really the only one over the entire weekend where they had to start playing the music, uh, Academy Awards style, to play him off stage. But to his credit, he did take the cue there, and then he uh, he got off pretty of stage pretty quickly after that. But again, this was someone who waited so long for his moment, he didn't want it to end. And uh, it was not surprising that that he had, uh, I believe, the longest speech of everyone that spoke over the weekend. And and how much of a tear did it bring to your eye to to see the reconciliation between Jerry and Jimmy? <laughs> well, you know, behind that, that's got to be one of the heartwarming <laughs> stories of 2021, doesn't it? it? It's just a feel good story, you know. It's and, and Jerry and Jimmy have always been a feel good story. I, I think everyone can relate. Uh, but no, you know, it, it's interesting there too because Jimmy, uh, you know, and again. Jimmy, the ultimate showman, got it, got to it right off the top. Well, I know what y'all are here to what I'm going to have to say about Jerry Jones. So he does it right off the top and does the twist about how much he means to him and, and uh, you know, his, his, his success. And um, but it, it was interesting before Jerry Jones threw a party for the three members who were enshrined over the weekend, which was Cliff Harris, Jimmy Johnson and Drew Pearson. And they were all there at the party. And so we're like, uh, previous uh, Cowboys in the Hall of Fame, uh, coaching staffs, Jimmy's coaching staff, uh, other players from those teams. Uh, it, it was really a, uh, a star-studded Cowboys affair. And I was struck. I was in there for a little bit before the speeches started. And the first thing I saw when I walked in were Jerry and Jimmy were engaged in a conversation, very casual, very warm, and it went on for quite a while. And I was struck by how comfortable it was because if they weren't comfortable with each other, they had plenty of outs in that room to go, oh, look, here's uh, here's Dave Wanstead. I got to talk to him. Or, oh, here's Charles Haley. I, I need to talk to him for a second. They truly were enjoying each other's company and having a casual, uh, warm conversation. And I've been told really over the last five to eight years, you've seen this more and more behind the scenes. They have been at functions together. And they've really been able to acknowledge that, you know, we were young, we were full of bluster. I wanted all the credit. You wanted all the credit. We both did this to ourselves. We were good friends before. We achieved something a lot of people didn't. That should be good enough. And, and very quickly, I know we need to wrap this up because I want to get into uh, your trip to uh, Carolina uh, for the minor league system and, and what you did there. But uh you know, Jimmy also mentioned this in his, his speech as well. One of the things he talked about was now that he looks back, he wonders if his drive for success did not allow him to revel and enjoy the moment and enjoy that success as much as he should. And uh, and that goes along with what uh, 
Jerry Jones was saying at the start of this training camp, uh, looking back and like, I should have deferred. Uh, you know, it was on me, uh, to, to this relationship, how it imploded. So I think both of them have gotten reflective and can look back now and acknowledge that we did this to ourselves while also knowing because of their personalities, this was never going to be a long-term relationship. This was going to, uh, we talk about burning bright. They burned bright, but there is no way they could have coexisted for a long time. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the one thing that I'm struck with is just that, um, how how many athletes and competitors you speak to down the road and their their biggest regret after achieving the pinnacle of their career is I didn't allow myself to enjoy it more. Um, I guess you have to be that laser focused and not able to completely enjoy the moment that you're in and the moment that you're bringing to so many people. Um, I mean, from my perspective, uh, you know, a hundred miles away, it looked like Jimmy and Jerry enjoyed it too much. And then both got into the vanity of, I want the credit for this. And that's what, as you said, that's what led to the downfall of the relationship and, and ultimately probably the decline of the Cowboys. So, yeah. and, and is it very interesting? Again, I know we need to get on here, but it's, uh, but, but that is part of that maniacal drive it takes to be successful on the level that they have done is you can't stop and cherish any moment because then you lose that lose that drive then you become satisfied or self-satisfied you're losing your edge and everyone else has that edge who hasn't achieved what you've done so that athletes i hate to say live in fear but fear is a big motivation for a lot of them and it's like if i lose my drive i lose what makes me special well speaking of losing my drive. That's uh, exactly what happened when I got to North Carolina, literally. Um, I uh, was, uh, we decided to take an unusual tack this week. And rather than have me stick with the big league club, we thought that the first week of August after all this transition would be a really good opportunity to go out and see some of the minor league clubs and get a better feel for exactly where the Rangers rebuild is. And, um, I got to the Avis counter in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina last Thursday and presented my car reservation and the agent had no car for me. Um, and then she asked when I made the reservation. I said, well, I actually made it this morning because it was a last minute trip. And she said, we don't have any cars. And so it literally was the, well, you don't have a problem taking the reservation, but the key part of the reservation is holding the reservation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, I ended up with no car in Greensboro, North Carolina. and It's a good walking just, city, though. Uh, downtown Greensboro is a lovely walking city. <laughs> it's only 11 miles from the airport to, the, uh, to downtown. Fortunately, I was able to get an Uber there. Uh, that was the biggest complication to an otherwise... Uh, really engaging trip on a number of fronts, except for one thing, David, and we'll get to baseball in a minute, but more importantly, this needs to be said. I don't want to hear any more about Carolina barbecue. Um, it's trash. Uh, maybe on the eastern half of the state, it's a little bit different, but in western North Carolina, pulled pork, first of all, isn't pulled pork. That's supposed to be the specialty. It's like mushed up pork product. Secondly, you ask for barbecued chicken, 
with it, and they just give you a breast, a, a, a quarter of a chicken that's been roasted, and then a bunch of barbecue, ketchupy barbecue sauce thrown all over it. It is not barbecue. So I'm going to expand okay, one, my rules. One, you're very much of a barbecue snob. You, you, yes, you I can am. start this conversation by you acknowledging that, correct? I, I am very much a barbecue snob, and I was going to make a snobby comment. Go ahead. No, no, make your snobby comment, and we'll continue. Well, I think I'm going to expand my rules. I, you know, My rule is no Mexican food outside of the state of Texas or the country of Mexico. Okay? My second rule is going to be no barbecue outside of the state of Texas or the city of Kansas City. Okay, that's just wrong. So you're disparaging all of Carolina barbecue. Why? Because you don't like the mustard barbecue sauce? You don't consider that a barbecue sauce just because it's different? Because it's mustard It was vinegar? the mushy pork that really got me. The mushy pork was... I, I, pork should not be mushy. No, it can be pulled. Maybe you did not have a good... Sa- you have not had a good pulled pork sandwich from Carolina. <laughs> can you truthfully say that? I, I, yeah, I, I, I really feel like I can. It is wonderful. Now we're from here. I, I'm biased toward Texas barbecue as well. That, that, that's the flavor profile. That's what you grow up with. But Carolina barbecue, while I know you will say it is inferior and it is inferior to Texas barbecue, it is still good. A good pulled pork with that barbecue sauce is nice. I, 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 we're just going to have to doesn't sound like you had one. No, I didn't. I, and I went to a place in, in Greensboro that had been, that's been open 90 years. And the mystery is, I I don't know how, um, because it just wasn't very good. What else did you get? What were your sides? Uh, hush puppies, which come with everything in Carolina. And, um, uh, some Carolina slaw, which was, which was actually not bad, but it was, Far more apple-y than most. Yeah, they uh, put apple in their sauce, I think, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, and, and like I say, it was it was okay. It's just inferior to Texas. It, it, it really is. Um, I, I think on all levels, there was there was no level of smoke in the in the pork. Um, there was no level of smoke in the chicken, and it just was. It just doesn't do it for me. So let's just let's just dismiss the state too. Well, we can talk about the baseball that I saw in the state. That was actually kind of was that good? Uh, enjoyable. What, yeah, that was what, good. Yeah. What was your impression of of who you went down there to see? Well, I, you know, I, I think that the uh, the Class A team, the Advanced Class A team in Hickory, is really where you can you can really start to see the Rangers' rebuild plans come together. Uh, that roster that I saw. Over the over the weekend, included Justin Foskey, who was the number one pick in twenty. Their their number one pick in twenty twenty, the three hitters that they got from the Yankees in the Joey Gallo trade, and two pitchers they acquired in trades over the last year: Avery Weems, who came in the Lance Lynn deal from the White Sox, and Kevin Gowdy, who came in the deal from uh, uh, from Philadelphia for Kyle Gibson. Uh, and every one of those guys that I saw this week just absolutely performed. Uh, Foscu has been on an absolute tear since he came back from from a, uh, a rib cage injury, and, and I wrote a, a column for this for Tuesday's paper, just talking about this kid's ability to problem solve, and, and that's one of the things the Rangers absolutely rave about. And one of the problems he had, or one of the potential issues he had when he came into the system, was he hit the ball hard, but he hit a lot of ground balls, and now he's got the lowest ground ball rate in the entire organization. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he realized that he needed to drive the ball more, basically went to the hitting instructors and said, 
tell me what I need to do, and I'll figure out a plan on how to do it. And that's what he did. The three hitters from the Yankees organization, they're different players, but there's a real similarity there in how advanced their comprehension of the strike zone appears to be. I felt like watching those three guys, all of whom batted in the top of the in the top half of the lineup every game, uh, Josh Smith, uh, Ezekiel Duran, and uh, uh, Trevor Hauber, watching those guys every at bat was the kind of thing that Chris Woodward has talked about at the big league level. It was work for the opposing pitcher. Two strikes were were not a problem, um, guys. Guys would foul pitches off left and right. They were they were deep counts. I, I I was impressed with an inning in which this team didn't score any runs when they made the Pirates' number one draft pick throw twenty nine pitches and basically ended his night right there. So um, that was that was impressive. And then I saw three outstanding pitching performances from Zach Kent, who was the uh, who was a ninth round pick, and he threw he, he had thirteen strikeouts and in seven shutout innings on Thursday. Avery Williams allowed one run in six and two-thirds innings uh, the next day. And Kevin Gowdy on Saturday uh, allowed, had a shutout for six innings. Um, the important, the, the really striking thing about all of these were that need, none of those guys allowed more than one walk, and the strikeout totals piled up. And the Rangers have really emphasized at the lower levels, you know, we're not going – we want to get to two strikes fast, and then you bury a guy however you bury him. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you put him on the defensive and he takes a defensive swing, great. If you strike him out, great. But let's get to two strikes fast, and then let's put him away before, uh, before there is uh, a deep, deep count. Now, how do you balance on this? And, and we need to talk about timetables here. Um, how do you balance – making sure that development and arc is what it needs and they're fully prepared coming in versus we need, we need to show something for what we've done here. You know, we've got to bring at least one or two of these guys up or more and be on the big league team next year. How talk about how you feel that, that will and should play out. Well, I, I, I think this the only element there is on the timeline. I just went back and looked yesterday at how long it takes for a team that's lost 100 games to rebuild back into a contender. And I think the, 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 the only thing I can find for a timeline is those, team, those teams that do, it usually takes about five years. I mean, for me, the Cubs are the best example. Uh, they lost two thousand. They lost a hundred plus games in two thousand twelve under Theo in, in Theo Epstein's first year. He started putting in the tenets of their rebuild, their whole hog rebuild, to use a Carolina uh, barbecue <laughs> phrase. Um, and by two thousand sixteen, they were they were world champions, and that's a fast track. Um, the the Astros lost a hundred consecutive games, a hundred or more games, three consecutive years, and then finally won. Four years later, after losing in 2017, it is a it is a long term process, and you can't rush it. And I think where the Rangers have to be careful here is the timeline on these guys can't be artificially adjusted. Yeah. Um, 
There are going to be some promotions throughout the minor league system here in the next few days. I expect Foskey to go to double A here shortly. I expect um, uh, maybe Josh Smith, who came from the Yankees, to go to double A shortly. I expect Josh Young eventually to go to triple A from double A, although Frisco's got a COVID situation ongoing right now. Um, But the Rangers can't, like what they did with Leody Tavares and Anderson Tejada last year, kind of at a necessity with the roster. Mm -hmm. Those guys were not ready for the big leagues. They probably weren't ready for triple A at that point. They cannot do that to kids. They need to time this up, make sure these kids are all refined, make sure they are ready to compete at the big league level, and then you bring them up and maximize their time together. Because you don't want to stagger the time clocks on these guys towards free agency too much. You want them together as a core for the maximum amount of time. And that's hard to do when you're an organization like the Rangers, who has not had success in a while, and you want to give the fans something positive, and and you want to... And you want to be able to tangibly show yourself too that well, look, we're we're on the right track here. But the right track can be no, we're not going to look at any of these guys for for a couple of years. We've just got to we've got to endure where we are, and this is going to be better for us in the long term. And it's going to be painful. It's going to yeah. be really painful. Um, this team is going to suffer its fifth consecutive losing uh, season this year. It's going to be the, the most consecutive losing seasons in Rangers history. And by and large, the descent from 500 has been continual. One bad record getting worse after another. So it is going to take some time and it's going to be painful, but I do think there is talent in the minor league system. And I'll just finish it off by saying this. I spoke to um, Eric Longenhagen, uh, who is Fangraph's top prospect analyst, uh, about the system and the idea of how much talent there is there. And his take was, this team has more prospects than any other organization in the minor league system. They lack the truly game-changing prospect, but they have a higher floor of prospects than any other club. That's something to cling to if you're a Rangers fan. Have nothing else. I mean, it's a sheer <laughs> cliff right now, so you grab whatever you can. It is a sheer cliff. <laughs> um, so uh, Kevin's not here to defend his um, – which is which is why there was an actual conversation today, and I think the flow of this podcast was much better than it normally is. Absolutely. We didn't have to listen to Kevin prattle on for five minutes at a time telling us <laughs> what he had written 16 years ago. Um, but I will give him credit for this. You know, we did a uh, – he and Tim Callishaw and Chuck Carlton and my buddy Joe Hoyt did a mock draft of 64 college football teams over the weekend um, to set up four super conferences – and even though Kevin apparently had the third pick, I think he got it right. Um, how two people in 2021 could pass by Alabama as their number one pick for a football conference is beyond me. But I think what we saw is that Tim is still stuck in the 1970s when his <laughs> when his hair was not gray at that point. And Chuck Carlton, being the good Midwesterner that he is, loaded up on as many big Big Ten teams as he could, <laughs> and it left Kevin with a with I think the best conference, and that included uh, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, A and M, an up and coming Iowa State program. And somehow he he even included SMU in that program, but I think that was just uh, 
being fair. Everyone to stumbles over- along the way somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. Who would you have wound up with? I think Kevin got it about as right as he possibly could. I, I, I think Joe did a good job too, but you know, I, I don't think that Notre Dame may be the, the most money-making program still in all of college football, but it is not the, the best program. Um, uh, Ohio state is a great program. Um, but Alabama is the preeminent program in college football and will remain that and really has been, you know, since for for more than a half a century now, going back to the days of Bear Bryant, there were some stumbles along the way, but this is the best program in college football. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a standard bearer. Yeah. And, and in today's world, I mean, you know, in the past you could say, well, don't you want like, uh, a school from a, a a larger state, a big city, a coastal uh, elite, if you will, uh, that's really minimized in, in today's world. I think uh, I don't know that Alabama is a national brand. Uh, you don't have a very large population base there whatsoever. But is there a more national brand? Uh, it's up there with with Notre Dame. I mean, it, it has the the. There's some other factors going for Notre Dame, but but Alabama's is built on success and what they have done in football, and no one can can match that. Well, I I would agree wholeheartedly, and uh, this forces us to like kind of end the podcast on um, a note of praising Kevin. I, I didn't really want to time it up that way, but well, then I, I would really like an extra we... twenty to thirty seconds to <laughs> to bring I it back that, to where it should be. I, I think producer Jeff would cut us off at that point in time. So um, he's always been. We a are gonna. Guy. We'll sign off for this week. We uh, we obliterated North Carolina barbecue. We talked about you did. shoulder. You did, sir. I am not Wait, as down on on Carolina I'm barbecue you as under you. The bus along well, with fine. Me. You're a snob. That's I, it, <laughs> we all know that. We discussed Dak's uh, shoulder, Luca's contract, and the Rangers' long term rebuild. Uh, Until next week, everybody, when I think Kevin will be back. Oh, really? So long. Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard, please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.